Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In the immortal words of the legendary Terry Pratchett in his Discworld novel, The Truth, quote, A lie can get halfway around the world before the truth has had a chance to get its boots on. And from one of my favorite bands, the Protomen, in their song, The Hounds. When I say he was a monster, when I set fire to my name, it doesn't matter where you hear it from, whether truth or lies, it gets said all the same. Whatever's on the table plays. Welcome to another episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. Uh, I've been on a kick recently about a propensity for us to misunderstand or misrepresent people who aren't in our tribe, and how you know BS gets amplified, right? How in our own minds, and then across, you know, from our mouth to other people's ears, or from our fingers to other people's eyes, BS tends to get amplified instead of truth, right? Instead of reality. There's this terrible sense from the grandfathers of the internet, including John Gable, who I know, he's the founder, I've mentioned it before, of allsides.com, that there's this horrible sense that they had that when they made the internet, they thought of it, they thought it would be a lot of forums of people discussing, right? They thought that the internet would be a place for people to get access to information that they were denied, right? Access to real information, to truth that they were denied, that they couldn't otherwise access, right? Or that was hidden, that was very difficult to find, right? You can Google stuff now that you would have had to, you know, trudge down to the library and spend hours and hours looking for, which I remember doing for my master's thesis and in elementary school long before that. They had this idea that it was going to be a little bit like an Ender's game where you had intellectuals debating each other, where you had people connecting and learning about each other from across cultures, that partisanship, that racism, that nationalism would be threatened, if not outright destroyed by the internet. And of course, it hasn't gone that way at all. Uh, One of the thoughts I had recently was that, you know, the reason nobody saw this coming was that the people who created the internet, the technologists who built it, imagined themselves using it not their racist Uncle Mike. They thought that the internet would turn people into themselves, would turn the average citizen into themselves. But the problem is, what happened is racist Uncle Mike's ideas got amplified instead. And how did that happen? Why does that happen? I want to talk about that today. In the episode, How to Casually Radicalize a Citizen, we talked about how people with less than awesome intent can easily and do easily create a stream of examples of the worst from their opposition. 
and they use that stream to characterize the entire opposition, right? So you cherry pick some folks from your opposition who are horrible, and you say, look at this, just keep looking at it, keep looking at it. And it's just a human thing. If we keep seeing examples of certain people acting horribly, and someone tells us, you know, we're able to identify them as a certain group, we tend to think the whole group is bad, right? This is the in-group, out-group theory that's part of our evolutionary upbringing, part of what made us survive was looking to judge other tribes either as friendly or unfriendly either as targets to cooperate with or be destroyed and you can see these streams and you can get radicalized yourself as we see but such a thing is happening passively too you don't have to go to these certain subreddits or these certain places where people are you know intentionally curating the worst from the other side and creating a biased picture of the other side. It's happening passively too. It happens without anyone in particular trying to direct it. It happens without curation, the way that we talked about in How to Casually Radicalize a Citizen. And I call this process volume bias. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I hope it is at least somewhat educational, right? I'm spending a lot of time recently, instead of looking at specific issues, which we sometimes kind of get on a kick of and do a lot of, and sometimes you talk about history and sometimes you talk about concepts. Sometimes you talk about philosophy. And today we're talking concepts. Uh, and recently we've been talking concepts because I've been thinking a lot about these concepts. Before we get too far into it, I want to give a shout out to some of our more recent patrons and thank the following folks. Uh, Bob Nelson, Clint Losey, Elian the Witch, and someone who is only DXXXVIII, which I believe means in Roman numerals 538, which... Oh my god, if it's Nate Silver, that would be so cool. It's not Nate Silver. I'm sure it's not Nate Silver. It's probably a fan of Nate Silver who signed themselves as 538. But thank you, 538, Ellie and the Witch, Clint, and Bob for your support. Again, means the world to us. We have succeeded in the sort of fundraiser portion of things. The thing that was like, if we don't make this, we die. So we're not dying. We're at the point where we're sort of holding steady. And, you know, obviously there's love, there's stuff that we'd love to do more to expand. Last part of the plug is, uh, so I personally get $0 from this. I've actually put in a bunch of money to reconsider. I've taken out nothing ever. And it'll probably be a very, very long time before I ever do. I'd love to make it my, you know, a, a meaningful source of income at some point so I can spend more time working on metapolitics. Or I get rich in Silicon Valley and I don't have to worry about it. But in the meantime, these resources give us the ability to go reach new audiences. So thank you to everyone who did that. Um, anyone who's uh, been listening to the show for a while and wants to donate a buck a show uh, and join us, you can go to patreon.com slash reconsider and join us there. So back to the show. So this idea of volume bias, I want to kind of talk about what I think is going on. And the big idea of what I think is going on before I talk about why it's going on is that simpler positions less nuanced positions are louder. And what does louder mean in this case? It means that we hear it more, right? So in physical space, like you're just yelling at each other, right? You hear stuff more that's louder. You hear it better than something softly spoken. You know, if you're a far distance away, you're more likely to hear it. In the age of what we'll call social media, I don't necessarily mean Facebook. I mean, just media driven by people uh, where they're just all hucking stuff out there louder stuff is stuff that you see more of or hear more of, and it's more likely to settle into your mind, right? So it's more mimetic. So there are certain positions or statements that are louder, that are more mimetic, that are more shared, that are more prone to settle in your brain than others. And the louder positions tend to be 
simple or often hyperbolic. Um, and you know, I, I have a personal position that if something seems really simple, you've probably not thought about it enough because uh, the world is complex. But that what that would suggest, if what I'm saying is true, is that simpler, less nuanced, and therefore less likely to have the full story, less likely to give you a full picture of what's going on, positions are more likely to be put in front of you, and they're more likely to lodge themselves in your mind. And that means you're going to hear a lot more of those than the nuanced positions, the more thought out, the more researched positions that oppose them or paint a different and perhaps more accurate view of reality. I'll bring up more examples later, but a good example of this, I just remember a virologist who was just so frustrated and he sent out a tweet where he said, you know, I went to medical school for 12 years and I've been practicing virology and spend 40 hours a week, literally you know, my entire working time doing research on viruses to understand them. And I share a position that's based on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of both research of the field and also my own personal work using my expertise. You know, he didn't say all of this in the tweet. And someone on the internet can just say, bullshit, wrong. And it's excruciating, right? And to develop the level of understanding that a virologist has, right? And this is me showing my own kind of like pro-expert, kind of pro-technocratic bias that people who spend more time researching something tend to know more stuff about it than people who don't, which sounds simple. There is an alternate position, which is experts tend to be biased, which I also believe. One of the, in the book, Stop Guessing, that I helped write, uh, one of our positions is don't rely on experts. It doesn't mean don't listen to them, don't trust them, but don't rely on them to tell you what to do all the time. Anyway, so this tweet, it, you know, he just kind of shared this frustration and a lot of experts recently about healthcare, uh, doctors, virologists, the people who make vaccines. I don't mean the corporate the evil corporations. I just mean like the individuals who are passionate about creating this thing and distributing it. To save people, they're very frustrated. And their positions about, maybe I will just get into the example now, like their positions about, okay, here's how an mRNA vaccine works, right? And hey, by the way, we've actually been putting mRNA stuff in people for a long time, both experimentally and medically. And we've been researching it for a long time. We've seen the effects for a long time among millions of people. It's safe. And we've also done the research before the FDA even let us do this in an emergency situation rather than a you know full approval, which you know the I believe the Pfizer vaccine now has. Done a lot of research. We've shown that it's quite safe. And we've also shown that COVID-19 is not, right? And what's interesting is COVID-19 is not safe, not actually one of those more nuanced positions you can have. You can just be like nearly 700,000 Americans have died from it. And that's a lot, right? Do you want to die? Do you mind that, you know, other people are dying? But the, the more nuanced position on COVID-19 is someone going, wow, it's my right to be as unsafe from this as I want. But it takes a lot of nuance to explain to people, like, actually, the fact that most carriers are asymptomatic, right? As soon as you say that, people are like, see, it's not that dangerous. But the fact that most carriers are asymptomatic actually makes it more dangerous, right? This is a nuanced position because like, well, that seems counterintuitive and therefore you must be lying to me. It's like, no, it means that people are spreading it constantly, right? And you can't just quarantine the sick. Unlike something like bubonic plague, where like, if you have it, you know, but it means that people are constantly spreading COVID-19 to each other if they're not wearing a mask, if they're not socially distancing, if they're not, you know, vaccinated. And now, of course, you know, the Delta variant has put a challenge to that where we'll need to get a booster for that. Um, but the thing is, like, it's a fairly nuanced position, or at least it's 30 seconds of nuanced. It takes at least 30 seconds to be able to, like, talk that through with someone who is ready to receive hearing it. But, you know, you have these much more less nuanced things that you hear. Like, if you go on Facebook, you see it where people say, um, well, uh, if social distancing works, why do you need masks? And if masks work, why do you need social distancing? And if both of these work, why do you need 
a vaccine. It's like, well, none of them are designed to work literally 100%, right? It's a little like asking, you know, if you need seatbelts, why do you need airbags? Because both of them help. Neither one is literally 100% effective, but together they're more effective. You're less likely to die from the car crash. Congratulations. But that takes 30 seconds. And so there are these less nuanced positions that you can say very quickly, that can be digested very quickly, that can make a point very quickly, no matter how wrong they are. And getting the truth out takes a little bit more nuance and time and requires some expertise to be able to explain well, right? Like I can't on my own figure out how an mRNA vaccine works. I needed someone who knows what they're doing right? A vaccine scientist to explain it. And then I was able to go read it. I was like, okay, cool. This makes sense. Right? I like it. But someone who has no idea what they're doing could just be like, well, it's dangerous. They're putting in self rep crazy self-replicating, you know, retro stuff that like takes over your cells and makes wacky spike proteins. That sounds scary. Maybe it's like prions, right? I don't know what prions are, but I know they're bad. And it's much easier to just kind of throw wrenches at stuff. And that stuff is easy to repeat, where the explanation of how mRNA uh, spike protein production in order to be a vaccine that's actually a lot safer because it doesn't actually contain the virus, it's a lot harder to explain that. It's a lot harder to explain why someone who's asymptomatic and doesn't feel sick should stay at home. So point of that rant, other than getting y'all, if you haven't gotten your damn vaccine yet, to go get it, is, is much. So that's the concept of volume bias played out by example, right? It is hard to get a lot of volume. It is hard to get a lot of memetic repeatability of these more complex statements of reality about, for example, the danger of COVID-19, even if you're asymptomatic, um, why it's not just the flu, why comparing it to heart disease and cancer doesn't make any sense at all, right? It's a lot harder to get that across. You need more space. People don't have attention spans. And it's much easier to get across these positions that are false, but very short and not because they don't require nuance. Falsehood doesn't require nuance. You just say something. Um, that is volume bias. It's easier to repeat simple stuff. It is therefore easier to repeat more partisan and less likely to be true stuff because stuff that is less nuanced is less likely to be an accurate portrayal of reality. That is a tragedy. The volume bias is a tragedy and it is a tragedy driven by the nature of our minds is a tragedy that's driven by the nature of social media, modern media. So let's summarize, right? Here's how I think volume bias works among regular people. One, more partisan people are both more certain about their position. They are also more passionate about their certainty, right? So because less partisan people are more prone to having nuance and like remaining questions about reality, right? Where you go like, okay, I don't quite understand how this works because I'm not like dogmatically attached to a certain worldview. So more partisan people can, one, with their passion and their certainty, state a clearer position, state two, state a shorter position, and three, state it with deep conviction that less partisan ones can't, right? They can just make this loud statement. They can put it down and say, see, right? And they can make it mimetic. They can make it repeatable. Three, more partisan folks are more likely to attack others as well, meaning the less partisan folks often get intimidated out of the conversation as well, right? If you try to come into a bunch of like anti-vaxxers, which like used to be just kind of this edge case of Karens, but it's now unfortunately, you know, about a quarter of the U.S. population, right? They're going to freak out and say like, hey, I want to explain to you how these mRNA vaccines work, right? You're going to get called a sheep. You're going to get screamed at, right? Like, Pro-vaccine people tend not to, you know, the people who are like, hey, get the damn vaccine. You know, they're getting impatient. They're starting to yell. But from the beginning, they're like, hey, wear a mask. Like, it's good. It's going to keep others healthy. It's an act of love. But 
these like more partisan anti-vaccine folks are going to scream at you, right? Similarly, you know, you can't go to a bunch of people in Portland who are, you know, or Seattle who are occupying with guns multiple square blocks and say, hey, I know you're really upset, but maybe not literally all cops are bastards, right? Or like, what is your actual plan here, right? Because it turns out, you know, there are like lots of problems going on here. And like, there are solutions that are actually really interesting to police brutality, which is a real thing. But like, you taking over parts of Seattle doesn't seem to be affecting in a positive way. You're going to get, you know, you might get worse than screamed out. So less partisan folks are intimidated out. One thing I believe is true from my own experience, is that these less partisan folks are indeed having conversations like kind of in the kitchen, but quiet ones, right? Now, I tend to be, I have my own experiential bias of this, not mental bias, but experiential bias, because more nuanced folks tend to gravitate towards me because they say like, hey, Eric, I don't think I believe this like loud thing that I'm hearing, but I don't feel safe to say that because I'm in this left, you know, I'm in this very left-wing or very right-wing area where like I have to follow the dogma out loud, Right. Um, or at least in public, right? I can't question it in public because it's dangerous for me. So they tend to gravitate towards me. But I also like, I also think, you know, I've kind of like sat on the sidelines of some of this stuff. And I think, you know, most people, most of the time, this is the silent majority thing, but the silent majority don't all believe one thing. It's not like, you know, what Nixon was trying to say. The silent majority are the folks who are just like, you know, yes, like the world is big and complex and I want to understand it fully from the ground up. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of these folks, they feel like they've lost touch with their own party, but they feel like they have to be quiet. They feel like they're not allowed to say stuff in public. And this becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. And that's where the bias really picks up, is that one, not only is it harder to state these more nuanced positions in the first place, not only is it more complex and like, and it's less mimetic and you're not going to get it out there as much, but these more partisan folks, like they shout people down, right? They don't tolerate dissent. They don't tolerate disagreement. And so people with more nuance who are going to just kind of like ask questions and think about stuff. And we'll talk about like, why are partisans so dogmatic? Why are they so violent? Um, I'll talk about that another time. But these less partisan folks, these more nuanced folks get pushed out of the public sphere because partisan folks become such, you know, deeply partisan people have become such terrorists. You know, they're no longer interested in trying to make the point uh, through conversation, right? They're just going to try to make that point by pushing people out that the more nuanced folks stay at home, right? And this is the self-reinforcing cycle because when you go out into the these like weird, bizarro public squares like Facebook, you don't hear the nuanced stuff anymore. Um, the few people who are courageous enough to say it, it is hard to share, it is hard to repeat, so it doesn't get amplified, it doesn't get as loud, uh, but most of the time people are silent anyway. So these loud, ridiculous partisan positions have taken over completely the public square and then... What happens to your mind? Well, you get out there and you be like, this is all anyone's talking about, right? Well, like, you know, there's a side of this that's more like me and there's a side of this that's less like me, right? And uh, so I'm going to side with the side that's more like me. And I guess this is what everyone believes, right? Because that's a mental bias that we have, a cognitive bias that we have, that if that's all we see people talking about, we assume that's all they're talking about. Not the worst cognitive bias, but it certainly is one because it's not true. It doesn't reflect reality. And that's the self-reinforcing cycle. And that's how people get sucked into these partisan positions because they only see that due to the volume bias. And they see that the high volume stuff from the other side is, to them, horrifying because of the volume bias. And so they say, like, well, I'm going to ally with, you know, the wackos on my side because the wackos on the other side are monsters. And there are no other options, right? Changes in media technology over the past 50 years also mean that volume bias you know, takes over in media and elections as well. 
right? As we mentioned, nuance is harder to understand than the more loud, short, simple positions. And it's harder to remember, right? The nuance stuff will literally be forgotten or it will go over our heads. Um, it won't catch our attention nearly as much. So we're just not going to pick it up. It's not going to embed itself in people. And this is because we're largely consuming media differently, right? We're getting more individual bits about more things going on in the world, but with less time and focus for each individual thing. Um, we'll talk about this more in the future, but you know, people tend not to, it's less and less common that people pick up a newspaper and read the newspaper. People don't go like, okay, I'm going to put aside 30 minutes and like read the newspaper, digital or not. What happens is we get snippets. We see a lot of headlines, right? Think about the number of headlines versus the number of articles you actually read. So we got a lot of headlines, right? And those headlines need to be clickbaity. We've talked about this before. They need to be clickbaity because you're not subscribing to the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal, right? What's happening is they're trying to catch your attention among a very loud sea. And so... Headlines tend to be more clickbaity. Um, political positions tend to be more clickbaity because they're trying to be, you know, mimetic, trying to be viral, right? Because virality helps. And so we're consuming media differently and it's being produced differently because of how we're consuming it. So what we're consuming is a lot of clickbaity headlines and very little in the way of long form articles where we can digest nuance. And what that means is that media is changing and media is more prone to go for what's loud because what's loud gets them clicks, clicks get them ad money, and that's how they survive. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So they go for simple, under-nuanced positions, because the ones who go for really nuanced positions either die or they become niche. Right, It's not the media's fault because if they try to do the right thing, they go broke. And then same thing with politicians. You know, when one politician says, I'm going to build a wall and it's going to fix the immigration issue. And another one goes like, actually, it's very complex. And, you know, most illegal immigrants don't actually come by walking across the border. Most illegal immigrants just overstay their visas. Right. And so what do you do about that? Right. Well, we don't actually have a great answer. But building the wall is just mostly a giant waste of money much harder position to make. And um, now I'm actually not entirely convinced that the fence is a big waste of money. So even that is a less nuanced position because it's like, oh, there are reasons to have some fencing. and But some of it has nothing to do with illegal immigration. A lot of it has to do with trafficking and narcotics and guns and stuff like that. But what that means is like, you know, politicians and media have less time to catch your attention, to try to get your money, which they need to survive. So they will say the louder thing, which as we know is the simpler thing. 
Um, and so the politicians who try to be more nuanced get hosed. They lose to the politicians who are less nuanced. The media sources that try to be more nuanced lose to the media sources that are louder and less nuanced. And so um, just through the raw mechanics of the market, right, the economic market or the political market, um, loud stuff wins and nuanced stuff loses. So the result is that there's a bias in what we are exposed to. Higher volume stuff is shared more shared more by regular people and media and politicians have a bias to or have an incentive to put out higher volume stuff and there's a bias in what we digest and remember right so it's like we kind of have a high pass filter for anything that's not loud or simple enough we're exposed to so much in such little bursts that we can only remember stuff that is we can only hear and remember stuff that is very loud so we only get very loud versions of what our team believes and what the other team believes those loud versions are the most partisan certain and simple and through this highly repeated exposure, we start to lose our own ability to remember that there can be nuance in our own team's positions, much less the other teams. And that's how we get co-opted into becoming one of these very partisans. There's one more factor in this that I sort of thought of late while developing this. Um, and it was actually based on the Terry Pratchett quote, the one that goes, um, a lie has gotten halfway around the world before the truth has the opportunity to put his boots on. And it's initiative. Initiative is huge. When you're the first one to come out and say something, it puts the other side on the defensive, trying to go like, no, 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 hold on. It's way more complicated than that. Stop. Trump was a master of this. In particular, Trump took the initiative on the stuff that was his weakest point, such that if anyone counter accused him of that thing, they would look like they were just scrambling and full of it. So for example, him saying like, you know, him trying to seize on Hunter Biden being super corrupt in some way that mattered to the American public, right, was his proactive defense, right? Why be defensive when you could be offensive? His proactive defense to someone saying, why are Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner and Eric Trump part of the White House again, right? What are their qualifications again? Oh, is it none? right? Maybe that's a little nepotistic, perhaps corrupt, right? Um, or his misuse of campaign funds and stuff like that, right? So he said, oh, Joe Biden, super corrupt, corrupt Joe Biden, very corrupt, right? And just said it over and over again. And so if Joe Biden came back and said, no, it is you who are the corrupt one, right? It wouldn't, wouldn't sound very good politically. It'd be like, well, he's just trying to throw it right back at him. He must be the corrupt one. Um, so Trump was great at this, but this initiative is massive, right? So generally accusations or even just affirmative positions once stated require um especially if they're like attractive in some way that you know reach to our biases in other ways right trump ran on like oh all of washington is corrupt i'm the one who's not corrupt because i'm too rich to be corrupt turns out he's not right turns out he's broke and constantly just trying to scrabble for more money and you know getting it out of anyone he can including his own followers um go look at the fine print on his quote-unquote election defense fund right they just got suckered out of money but he did a great job saying, I'm the one who's not corrupt. Everyone else is corrupt because they're in Washington. Um, and Washington's corrupt, right? So anyway, if they're attractive to that sense that people have that like, oh yeah, politicians are corrupt, um, you know, that's the attractive part. So it gets embedded. And then there's far, far, far more energy required to refute it than to spread it in the first place, right? So it's, it requires far less energy to spread a falsehood if you take the initiative and it's simple and attractive, such as Joe Biden is corrupt. As we know, all politicians are corrupt. Um, you know, I'm able to shield myself from accusations of corruption that way. Then, you know, once that initiative is taken, there's a strong volume bias kind of advantage there because any counter is going to sound, is going to fall flat. Generally speaking, you know, as they say, it's like more, it's easier to knock stuff down than build it back up again. So that initiative is massive as well. 
So, for example, the entire beginning of the vaccines cause autism thing, right? There was never like a, at the beginning, like a push. Like nobody had the initiative to say like, oh, vaccines are super safe because we've been using them for ages, right? The Marquis de Lafayette, um, I've been listening to, oh my God, I'm going to plug it. Mike Duncan's um, Hero of Two Worlds. Very good. It's about the Marquis de Lafayette, right? Around in the 1700s, right? He knew to go get inoculated against smallpox, right? Um, using, you know, pre-vaccine technology. But he knew to do that. And the position of like vaccines cause autism, you know, came out because nobody felt the need to proactively defend vaccines and push people on why they're such a good idea because it's so obvious why they're a good idea. Um, but then one refuted paper comes out and then like it just kind of catches fire. And so all defense of it lacks the initiative, right? And the thing is like people do this about COVID. They do it about the COVID vaccine as well. They keep throwing out new stuff, right? Because they're, they become such partisan maniacs that what happens is they keep kind of coming up with new reasons when their old reasons fall down and are eventually destroyed. They just keep coming up with new reasons that the like more rational part of the world is forced to respond to and put in far more energy to tear down. So a good example is like, oh, well, vaccines have mercury in them, which they don't, right? They contain chemical compounds where mercury is one of the elements, but just like salt doesn't kill you, but sodium on its own and chlorine on its own, right? Salt is sodium chloride. If you ate raw sodium, you die. If you ate raw chlorine, you die. But sodium chloride, it's fine. That's how chemistry works, right? But like, turns out most people don't effing know chemistry. And so they don't effing understand the vaccine, but their lack of understanding doesn't stop them, at least some of them. And so they say this really loudly. Oh, these vaccines contain mercury. And we all know like, oh man, mercury's bad. It's very loud, right? But then like once that gets knocked down, it's like, well, you know, I don't understand. You know, I don't know what's in it. So I just, I just don't feel safe, right? And what's interesting is you actually see the... This is a bit of an aside from the script, but like you start to see some like good counterexamples that instead of trying to convince people, they try to reseize the initiative through humor and through sort of making fun of the silliness of it, right? And so like I've seen mimetic stuff, very mimetic stuff, you know, where someone goes like, "Well, I don't know what's in the vaccine," and then like you see pictures of people like drinking Monster Energy drinks and eating hot dogs and smoking cigarettes and snorting coke. Right. And it's funny because it's like, you don't know what's in most of this, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're putting in yourself, you silly goose. But like, so your excuse about, I don't know what's in a vaccine, it falls flat because it calls you out as you don't do a bunch of research and moderate what you put in your body. Come on. Right. Stuff like that can be very good. Similarly, it's one of the reasons I think the Lincoln Project was so successful. It didn't try to counter what Trump was saying. It attacked him for being like a phony and a wuss. Right. And like you look at that stuff, you're like, yeah, he's, he's just a whiner. Right. And you're able to see through the Lincoln Project's videos that he's just a whiny little bitch of a man. And it was powerful because it took the initiative and it used the volume bias to its advantage um, because it attacked Trump with something that was fresh, with something that was very simple and unnuanced. Right. Trump is a whiny bitch. That was their position. Um, and they repeated it and repeated it and repeated it and used, you know, examples of him being a whiny bitch and just called it out. You know, one of the most iconic ones was about when there was this video of Trump like struggling to walk down a ramp after a talk or a speech. Uh, and he actually like then just goes on about it at a rally. Like if you listen to any of his rallies, they're just him complaining about how I'm the most what's it? I'm the most attacked person in the history of presidency ever. Right. And so he's just whining a lot. And they were able to anyway, my hatred of Trump is getting in the way here. But point being, you know, it's an iconic video. And whether you appreciate the Lincoln Project or not, it's a very good case study in sort of like hitting back at a demagogue 
using the same tactics that the demagogue uses, but playing from a different angle, not going head to head. This is the initiative point, not going head to head, you know, on the stuff that the demagogue is talking about, but going after the demagogue in different ways to undermine him. So uh, anyway, that was cool. But, but, you know, you have similar examples of this volume bias idea of, you know, for example, again, Trump was great at it. He said, I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall. And, you know, saying actually managing illegal immigration, which is something that everyone wants to do, right? Like try to minimize it. Like nobody wants, I mean, there are some psychotic leftists who, you know, not not that leftists are psychotic all, but there are some psychotic versions of them who like are like, yeah, illegal immigration is great. And like, it is bad to want you know, documentation for people coming in the country somehow. But like barring them, and that's the problem of the bias that we talked about earlier, that curation bias, where like you see some psychotic people say that, you're like, wow, liberals just want illegal immigrants to flood America? No, they don't. But a few people do. But anyway, the I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall thing, right? Very, very, very mimetic. And like the left made the mistake of then opposing that position when the Obama administration had been building a fence for eight years. Right? Like the Democrats were already pro wall, but they let Trump win this volume game by saying, like, ooh, wall's bad. Bad, bad, bad. That's, wait, what's the last time I heard about a wall? Uh, uh, Berlin, Berlin wall. Yeah, bad, 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 bad. Right? When it's just silly. One, it's silly to like compare it to the Berlin wall because the Berlin wall is about keeping people in. Two, it's silly because we'd been building a, a border fence for ages and it's silly because it gives Trump the initiative. Similarly, and so it's a place that the Democrats failed to understand and use the volume bias. They actually gave Trump more volume by opposing it rather than just saying, like, you could defuse it by being like, buddy, we've been building a wall for 20 years. Like, this isn't novel. Chill out. Like, you're not a genius. You're just, you're just saying stuff. Um, similarly, he's like, I'll end the ISIS war in 100 days. Right? Nobody held him accountable to that. You can be as loud as you want, especially if you're being loud over and over again. There's no way to hold him accountable. Like his own followers didn't want to hold him accountable to saying he'd end the ISIS war in 100 days, right? In part because he was just making up more loud stuff, mostly whining about the media and the, the far left Democrats and stuff like that. And just by continuing to be loud, he kept winning. And the fact that both of these positions, like I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall and I learned the ISIS war in 100 days, the fact that both of these were ridiculous, right, took more time to explain, right? And it should have been obvious that a guy who, like, you know, dodged the draft and has, like, never thought about the military or foreign policy in his life wouldn't be able to magically end the ISIS war in 100 days, right? That should have been apparent, but it wasn't because, oh, for a lot of reasons that, that are not perching to this show um but once he'd taken the initiative you had to go like were you going to go convince people that these simple positions didn't reflect reality in an effective way that would end up being viable policy or helpful like no you've already lost and then the third example is you know the election was stolen right very clear message very simple and then what you can do is you can just like you know you can just keep shopping around for like this anecdote here and that anecdote there and when those get knocked down it takes more time to knock those down right there's this like systematic need to knock those down and you can just keep throwing out stuff right and trump did a great job of just making things up to support it right he'd be like you know there's this great speech lindsey graham had on the night of the capitol insurrection when the senate had to reconvene i actually watched tv live because it was like such an historic moment and lindsey graham is standing up there right making the case to not contest the results and saying you know Donald Trump said there were, you know, I, I forget the exact examples, but Donald Trump said there were 74,000 uh, underage people in Wisconsin who voted or dead people or unregistered people or something like that who voted. I said, show me 10 names. I haven't seen one. 
you know, he said in Georgia, there's 12,000 of, you know, such and such people or, you know, fake votes that were created. I said, show me 10 names. I haven't seen one. Right. He did that over and over again. Right. But for all the people who wanted to hear the election was stolen, if you say, you come out and say there were 74,000, you know, I remember there was some example. It's like in some county in Wisconsin, oh, there were more people who voted for Joe Biden than there were residents or people old enough to vote or registered voters in the county. And it's just not true. Right. But like people spread it around because you say it in a convincing way. You know, you say it. It's simple. It's loud. Look at this thing. It doesn't have to be true. But people were like, wow, you know, they wanted to believe it. So they just spread it. And the amount of work it took me to convince people that that wasn't true. Like I had to go do the math. I was like, here's the Wikipedia article that shows the number of registered, you know, or, or like, and, and other sources like Ballotpedia and the Department of State website that shows the number of registered voters and the number of votes that were cast in that county, right? And it's just not even close, right? The statement that like there were more registered voters or more votes for Biden than there were registered voters in the county, it, just, it was so far from being true. There wasn't even a particular anomaly in that county. It was just made up, but it was simple. So it was repeatable, right? And it was concrete. And that helped make it louder too. You know, so all this stuff likely helped Trump get elected and keeps him popular among people somehow. You know, and, and he was a master of it. For example, he correctly predicted that news ratings would take a big hit when he was no longer president. And he's right because there's a president that's trying to make more nuanced cases about stuff, not taking volume bias to his advantage. You know, and Trump was very loud and people listened whether they loved or hated him. And it meant that, you know, his voice and his positions were amplified and Hillary Clinton's were not. And I think that the fact that news ratings dropped without him is a key case study right? It is our own reading and listening behaviors that drive the volume bias, right? Like, I think, you know, the fact that news ratings dropped, like, really, really supports my position here about volume bias, because, you know, we don't tune into stuff that's not loud in that way. Um, so Trump not only got a lot of free airtime, but what's interesting is during 2016, the typical, like, kind of sparring debate cable news shows, right, with these people yelling at each other, you know, they made sure in order to, like, be loud and not be boring, they made sure that they had a Democrat who was against some anti-pro-Trump Republican rather than an anti-Trump Republican. Because having, you know, there were a lot of anti-Trump Republicans at the time, including Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and all these other people that became bootlickers later. Um, you know, these folks were very anti-Trump. But bringing them on with the Democrat wasn't an interesting fight. It wasn't loud, right? Having Lindsey Graham and a Democrat sit there and be like, hey, look, we disagree on a lot of stuff, but that Trump guy, he's awful, right? It wouldn't be loud. We wouldn't tune in, so it didn't happen. And so there was this uh, really interesting case study. I'm not the first person to bring this up, far from it, but what that actually did is it like falsely, that dynamic falsely painted the picture that Republicans were pro-Trump. Um, and so it kind of made it okay to be pro-Trump. All the Republicans were saying, this guy is a monster and an idiot. Um, they weren't amplified in the same way as the pro-Trump Republicans. So with all this, are we doomed, right? Is this just going to keep coming forever? Um, and how is this prevented in the past, right? Is, is it even new? And in some ways it is new, in some ways it's not, right? Technology has clearly changed in a lot of ways. But like, did you have demagogues and demagogic positions, like simple positions, like pop up in the past and become a medic? Like, totally, right? Remember the main, right? Got us into the Spanish-American War. You know, the fact that the Maine was blown up by Americans rather than Spaniards, inconvenient position, a little more nuanced, you know, a lot harder to win at. Volume bias worked back in the day, too, before TV. And demagogues popped up, too, right? 
Uh, and demagogues, what do they do? They have very simple messages that are easily repeated. That's what makes them demagogues. Um, and they popped up in Greece and Rome. They popped up in 20th century Europe. Um, they popped up all the time and repeatedly. And, you know, and even in smaller, more local ways, in a freeish society, you know, in any relatively free society, there's always room for charlatans. However, the reason the dynamic has changed is that there used to be, at least like in the 20th century, it was common to have sort of a clearinghouse. You know, we talked about in Wedge this idea that there used to be like three major news programs, nightly news programs, ABC, CBS, and NBC. All right. And then they fractured and they had to become uh, more niche and they had to appeal to certain markets rather than trying to appeal to everyone at once. Similarly with newspapers, right? There used to be a few major newspapers, and these were clearing houses. They had the technological and economic power to constrain what messages got volume, and there was actually an incentive for them to be more nuanced, and there was an incentive. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Incentive for them to be more reliable and truthful. Whereas like fly-by-night stuff or certainly social media, like your racist Uncle Bob um, or like, you know, your crazy leftist who like thinks white people are the devil, right? There's nothing to hold them accountable. You know, they certainly don't have social pressure holding them accountable because they're able to create their own bubbles. They're able to excise anyone who disagrees with them, therefore create an echo chamber. And so there's no incentives for nuance to be rewarded. And generally, I do think there's this trend, like if I have any new idea since Wedged that I'm not just repeating in different ways, which is now seven years ago, it's crazy, uh, that Wedge came out. But um, one of the new ideas is generally, I think there is a trend of technology that's been fracturing and consolidating. Or uh, the, sorry, the thing that's been fracturing and consolidating is the power over messaging volume, right? That at times there are like few sources of information and at times there are many sources of information and too few is bad and too many is bad. Like one is bad, right? That's China or Iran or Russia, right? It's one or very nearly one source of information. Uh, North Korea being the most extreme example of it. Um, and too many is bad because there is no clearinghouse. There's nobody holding them accountable. And, and there's this like happy state somewhere that we have at times had. But I believe that there is this kind of like natural cycle of fracturing and consolidation that occurs between number of sources of high volume information and messaging. Um, and I actually gave a few talks at MIT's Enterprise New York, sorry, MIT's Enterprise Forum New York about this, which is a cool, anyone can join. It's, it's a... Uh, um, they're trying to like give out good information about technology, um, media technology in particular. Uh, actually, no, sorry, I do the media technology part, but uh, there are others as well. Um, so I like MIT's Enterprise Forum as a forum. Uh, but I gave a few talks at MIT's Enterprise Forum. And in making the episode at, right at the end, I just decided I'm going to try to get those under the podcast for y'all and onto YouTube for y'all. So stay tuned. But, uh, you know, what I hope ultimately, like to wrap up, what I hope is this is 
you know, my rants about Trump aside, like, no, I haven't gotten over it yet, unfortunately. But what I hope is that this is a helpful model for, you know, when you are in the fray, in the in the bizarro public square that we have, you are able to see the volume bias at play and also understand like, you know, your own frustrations as to like why you can't convince people of stuff or why it seems like misinformation and BS and like partisan tripe is always a few steps ahead of you. Like this is why. Um, what that means is like, you know, kind of, does it mean like don't waste your time? Does it mean like, you know, Epicurean style kind of retreat into your garden? I don't know. Um, but I hope that I can at least provide a little bit of peace and comfort knowing why it's happening. So with that, uh, I'm going to stop griping about Trump and misinformation, and I'm going to let you guys go. I'm recording this on September 11th, uh, 2021, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. I'm thinking about doing a show on that. I was kind of like inspired recently by what I think was peak America, which was George W. Bush standing on the rubble with a megaphone, talking to a grieving, frightened nation. And... Uh, you know, it's been a really weird 20 years since then, I think. And I am hoping for better times ahead. So with that, remember, don't let the pundits do the thingy for you. Don't let the loud partisans do the thingy for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric signing off.